0: If you have a bible i'd love for you to go to second corinthians chapter one with me i want to say thank you again for subscribing to the channel wherever you're getting uh, the content for our conversation today uh, thank you guys for simply liking it and sharing it obviously subscribing that's a tremendous help for us and that allows us to continue to do what we do on the exposition of the word of god this is second corinthians chapter one And I can just tell you that the month of January has always been one of my favorite months as a pastor. And part of the pastoral ministry, obviously one of the main tasks that we do have, that I have, is precisely the exposition of the Word of God. And January becomes a month where for many years as a pastor, I have typically used it to reintroduce um i guess the doctrine of ecclesiology the doctrine of the church and this is such an important subject in the scriptures for multiple reasons but primarily because for me this doctrine of the church is what typically embodies or reflects precisely Uh, the nature of the church which is the representation the task uh, the the assignment and to convey the gospel to the nations and once the church is confused once the church runs into trouble or misunderstandings uh, within itself and then you know within culture and 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 the generation i think the the gospel potentially um, gets into uh, either miscommunication or even to the Point of counterfeiting that gospel. And I think that's exactly where we are today. For sure, that's exactly where the church was 2,000 years ago, in this case, the Church of Corinth, and thus the need for uh, the, the, the communication, the, the exposition of this gospel through someone like the Apostle Paul speaking to the life of these churches. Um, for us, uh, the series or this letter, we have uh, looked into the possibility of the title of Beyond Pulpit and Pew and the word beyond obviously becomes an, an inclusive experience that is founded it's not that you're rejecting the, the pulpit or the pew and if you grew up in church you know exactly what i'm talking about with pulpits and pews although most churches or many churches they have chairs and, and many of the places where people gather they become a multi type of a, you know usage of those buildings but specifically we are exploring and we are again presenting or reintroducing the essence of the church now, for me personally, again, as a pastor, I've been privileged to reintroduce this topic over and over and over again through the years. And I've always come back to the same principles that what we want to do in the scriptures and when we want to do as a generation when it comes to the church is precisely to place the church at the end of the conversation. You don't want to begin with the church. You want to begin with Christ. And when I say Christ, this is what we call the person of Christ. What is it that Christ said about himself? We call this uh, Christology. This is the study, the theology, the, the understanding of who Jesus is. And then that person of Christ was obviously presented, incarnated, crystallized through his work. What did he do? Because that's exactly what the mission of the church is. So the person of Jesus and the work of jesus is what actually describes the essence or um the, the the identity of the church and eventually the mission of the church and this is what we call the bride of christ and i'm using the language again connected um, to describe uh, the the shepherd the pastor the leader of the church which is jesus now in theory or doctrine most people will agree with what, what's on the screen but in reality, in practicality, when it comes to how the, the church is structured, how the church is led, how the church is organized, and how the church actually advances the kingdom of God, I think that's exactly where we we'll run into trouble. And again, two thousand years ago, it was no exception. It's exactly where the church is found. And in my understanding uh, in this case of Second Corinthians is that somewhere, somehow, in the conversation, they reverse the order. Instead of beginning with Christ. The person of christ and the work of christ which by the way when we speak of the person christology and the work which is missiology this ex- this these are the two sides of one single coin and the one single coin is precisely the gospel the gospel is is the person of jesus and the gospel is the mission or the work of jesus who jesus is and what jesus did that's exactly where salvation is found and once that's reversed if you were to begin with the church or you begin with yourself and your need and your experience and your theology and your background and your personal preferences by default once that once that is uh, reversed then christ the person of jesus becomes whatever we want to make of him and then obviously the work of christ becomes becomes more of a a buffet line where you are selecting the things that you like about Jesus. Well, that's that's not going to work. And I believe that's exactly what uh, the church in Corinth was doing and phasing and encountering. Now, typically the reversal of the order happens on something that we call blind spots. My argument or my benefit of the doubt to every church, and Corinth is going to be one of them, is... No church really wants to do this. No marriage wants to do the reversal. No Christian wants to really, you know, have Jesus as a cosmic butler that simply serves my agenda, my purposes. But it happens, again, it happens in a manner where um, either is... uh, the compromising of the gospel the confusing of our generation infiltrates which is the case in most of these churches in the new testament they've been infiltrated by false doctrine and false teachers and, and by the before you know it the church is in trouble well it's pretty obvious in america in our culture in a generation around the world the church is in trouble and it is in the context of trouble and dysfunctionality and brokenness is precisely where god calls us to reintroduce not a new model, not a new perspective or methodology, is to reintroduce Christ. And this is exactly why we are investing the month of January to do that, to reintroduce who Jesus said he is and what Jesus did, because that is exactly the foundation of what we're describing. Specifically, when it comes to to the Church of Corinth, specifically in the second letter to Corinthians, uh, we're dealing with uh, some uniqueness that, again, this Christology, missiology, and ecclesiology is going to be presented or described. The first one is precisely on the essence of the church, is that the church always has been placed, and this is This is before, I mean, I'm going all the way back to Genesis, that man, the church, is being entrusted to have dominion under submission. So when it comes to apostolic authority, the church functions under the authority of someone else. And the authority of someone else, which in this case is the apostles, is the authority given precisely by the person in the work of Christ. In other words, what the apostles are conveying is precisely the person of Jesus in the work of jesus and the apostles from my understanding is what they're doing is not only introducing once again the gospel but they're also this is apostolic authority they're also explaining or contextualizing that gospel so in this case when it comes to the corinthians and second corinthians in particular you know they're dealing with the issue that they want to have dominion above dominion meaning they want to be autonomous they want to be self-sufficient they want to continue to redefine concepts and understanding and and and, and, and doctrine and paul is going to come and say no no listen you, you don't have the right to do that if you have been transformed by the gospel it is the gospel that defines what that means and how you go about it the second thing is the concept which is obviously connected is the understanding of leading from the second chair and how we're speaking of leadership within the context of the church because obviously if if we're going to follow apostolic leadership i want you to listen to this apostolic leadership which is the bible which is the scriptures right apostolic leadership begins by having leaders within the church under the leadership of the apostles or the scriptures this is why we lead we have dominion under submission and the dominion that we've been entrusted with or the stewardship of our leadership is precisely under the leadership of the christ the person of christ and the work of christ ultimately paul is going to utilize this letter to convey and to remind people that if you were to exercise and lead biblically from the second chair under the authority of the apostles there will be a price to pay and this is why and we're about to navigate this this is why especially in the concept of obstacles in the con in the, in the concept of obstacles and difficulties and challenges in the Bible, suffering because of Jesus, once again, Christology and missiology, right? The person and the work of Jesus, uh, the Christ, suffering is normative in the Bible. I'm gonna say that again. Suffering is normative, it's expected, it's supposed to happen. I guess, I guess one of the one of the uniqueness or one of the distinctives or the symptoms of a church, of a family, of a Christian that reverse the order, it begins with self begins with our experience with our traditions instead of christ that's when we get surprised with suffering number one so if you're surprised by suffering probably the order has been reversed secondly which probably is the hardest and i think that's exactly where these churches are not only you're surprised by suffering but most of the suffering that these churches are experiencing are self-inflicted and that's what you don't want. You don't want to go through suffering. This is what I call unnecessary suffering. You want to you want to go through the suffering that is shaping you into the image of Christ. And you want to go through the suffering which is the only suffering that Jesus makes himself accountable or responsible for the outcome. Whatever happens in the struggle, in the difficulties, in the challenges that I'm facing as I proclaim what is it? Not the church I'm not proclaiming my Christian leadership. I'm not proclaiming uh, I'm proclaiming the person of Christ and I'm proclaiming the lifestyle of Jesus. And that's gonna cause all these complications. This is why Paul, what he does on verse 1, so if you have a Bible, chapter 2 of uh, uh chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians, he begins by describing his calling, he's he's explaining how he has got the dominion as an apostle under the submission his submission to the actual apostle, to the actual shepherd of the church. And this is why he uses the language of the apostle. I mean, he's, you know, I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Okay, again, this is, I'm just simply following what I've been called to do. This is not my idea. This wasn't, I, I, this is like salvation, right? In salvation, salvation is what happens to you. And this is the same thing apostleship for him is something that happened to him on the road to Damascus. He was called to be the apostle to the Gentiles. And then he describes not only the God or the will of God, who is the driving force of what he does and why he's writing but also um he's describing his brother timothy so this is the concept of succession the concept that what i've been entrusted with is to convey it to other to to entrust it to others and then for timothy to entrust it to qualified individuals and then obviously the remaining of the conversation is pretty much history because that's that's why we're here we're here because this gospel this christology and this missiology has been conveyed into uh the following generations It is also to the church of God, speaking to the universal church, which is at Corinth. So now we're moving into the local church with all the saints who are through Achaia. Now, this concept of church, the concept of saints is the imagery imagery of um, being set apart for, set apart for. The, the background of this, obviously, or the context of being set apart for, meaning uh, it's, it's, it's a concept of consecration. The background is that in the past, before I was called to be an apostle, in the, in the case of Paul, before I was, I was encounter or the will of God happened to me. Before that, I was also set apart, but it, it wasn't for God, it was from God. I was an enemy of god now this is important to be reminded because now it makes perfect sense that if that was the case if being the church of jesus is to be set apart for god because we used to be set apart from god the implication is that this transition or transaction of being set apart from to be set apart for god is based on the grace of god and this is why he reminds him this is grace to you and the grace is not simply the event or the experience of that transition of set apart from to set apart for, but now it's a lifestyle. And it's a lifestyle in the context of difficulties. We're about to read that, right? So once again, this grace, which is given to you on a volunteer basis, because you cannot demand grace, as amazing as grace is. That's what we sing it, right? Amazing grace. It is amazing. We gotta remain, we gotta keep and, and continue that. That understanding of the amazingness of grace, because we are not deservers. We, we do not deserve. We deserve exactly the opposite. We deserve condemnation. We deserve to, be, to, to remain set apart from him, and which implies eternal separation. But in his grace, on a volunteer basis, he gave us that grace and that grace became flesh. That grace was incarnated. This is why the gospel is the grace of God, is the person of Christ, and is the work of Christ. Which, by the way, it is the gospel, and it is the grace of God, because Jesus absorbed, Jesus became the object, not of the grace of God. He became the object of the wrath of God of the vengeance of God of the justice of God my argument is going to be that is not either or is a both in of the conversation that the justice or the wrath or the um, or, or the uh, um, um, vengeance of God is in a core relationship side to side like faith in works with in this case the grace of God so in this case it is given to you and the peace from God, I mean, this is this is huge, huge blessing and, and 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 a plea before God. This is what Paul is saying. You know, I want you to experience the peace of God. Which, by the way, by the for the Christian, the peace of God is a person. And he says, "Our Father." I mean, part of this grace of God and the peace of God is not the absence of judgment or the absence of struggles and conflict. It's simply the presence of of the peace of God, my peace, Jesus says, my peace, I'm giving it to you. So I'm giving myself to you. And and that giving implies a brand new relationship with precisely my heavenly father, who's going to forsake me for your sake. And and the forsakenness of Jesus, the abandonment of Jesus, is that now we get the Grace of God and the mercy of God and the compassion of God, not necessarily that things are going to change or improve, but now we have the ability that, regardless and in spite of our circumstances, we're able to call Him our Father. The point of this is that familial language, is that ability to really. Um, embrace and have a relationship with the god of the scriptures in spite of our circumstances and then he uses the terminology or the title of lord which obviously is a massive massive implication because it is this is this is the name that was given in philippians 2 that paul mentions that it was given above every other name that at the name or the title of lord every knee will bow and every tongue will confess so what's the point the point is that this authority of christ this supremacy of christ please listen to me was given was restored in a sense through his humiliation and if jesus is the model that's why ecclesiology or the church is defined by The person and the work of Jesus. That person and that lifestyle, which once again, it was brought into humiliation and then exaltation. That's exactly how we lead. That's exactly how we lived. We lived in a world where we will be humiliated. We will go through the valley of the shadow and death. We will experience losses in this world, but they're purposeful. They have a reason. And the reason is to convey the lordship of Jesus through our suffering. Paul is going to convey to us we are reminding the world that although you may oppress us although you make whatever the case may be and there might be losses and they're tangible and they're real in jesus christ because of his lordship and the fact that he is our father and he is our brother guess what this is not final the losses the humiliation the grief is never final why it's never final because he is lord is never final because nothing can separate us from that relationship with our heavenly father all that to say is that ultimately that person of christ once again christology the person of jesus and then the works of jesus reminds us that this is a this is a uh, a reintroduction reintroduction of the pretzel and i'm using the pretzel again to reminds us and again this is just my simplistic way of explaining trying to explain something that is extremely hard to explain which is the trinity because paul is using the language of again god our father and the lord in the same sentence putting that equality that same essence is one god and that's exactly when i think of the triune god i think of a pretzel that is one bread with two hole with three holes and the implication is that we worship and Paul is reminding us of one God with three persons. Now, in the context of Christ, so, so there's no there's no three pretzels or three gods. It's only one God, right? But this one God has three persons and every person, just like the holes in the pretzel, um, everyone is unique. So, so in the Bible, we can only speak or preach of the uniqueness of every person. We cannot separate them because then you'll create a multiplicity of gods. No, it's only one God, three persons. But in the in the case of Jesus, and this is why we're giving you this kind of a mathematical, you know, presentation. One God, three persons in Christ is one person and two natures. Again, this is the understanding of the supremacy of Jesus, that in his humility, his humiliation he remained god he never lost his ability and his characteristic or distinctiveness of being the pretzel being god himself but he does have two natures and that's part of our understanding now paul is going to describe the bigness of god and the beauty of this christology and this missiology the person and the work of christ by saying he is blessed so blessed be the god of the god and father of our lord jesus christ for some crazy reason and i say crazy reason but uh, this is one of those things that if you want to speak about church and when we speak of church, obviously, the essence of the church and how the church functions, one of the primary things about the church is precisely the worship experience. And any time that the Bible is presented, sang through songs that ex- you know, explicitly convey the doctrine of the Bible, the character of Jesus, the person of Christ, the work of Christ, something happens then when we are encountered with doctrine, with the person and the work of Jesus, typically, and Paul, is, 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 is this is common in Paul, he breaks into doxology, into worship. And I'm bringing this up again because that's exactly what he's doing. He's worshiping God by blessing God. This is the concept of giving that benediction over somebody, describing the beauty of that individual, the beauty of the pretzel, one God, three persons, the beauty of Jesus, one of the holes one of the persons of the Trinity, which is one person and two natures. So he is again, he's blessed. He's describing the blessedness of this, and he is the father of mercy. Look at again. I mean, it's, it's giving you the reason and the object and the in the in the driving force of why worship why why the ability to convey who is blessed and i'm telling you he's blessing the lord he's describing the beauty and the majesty of god not as an indictment not as a loophole so that blessing can turn around and bless us in a manner that we can get you know out of the struggles and the suffering no no to to declare and to place the person of jesus in the work of Jesus as primary, in the church as secondary, your life and my life as secondary, that is the blessing. I don't know if that makes sense because Paul is not presenting this biblical truths as a formula. So that if you proclaim it, if you believe it, if you practice, it, if you convey, then something is gonna happen. I'm telling you, if you're able to believe this and you're able to bless the Lord, and you're able to see the majesty of God and the beauty of God and the bigness of God and the character of God reflected and conveyed and crystallized through the person of Christ and the work of Christ, that is the blessing. I don't know if that makes sense. That is the blessing. So when, not if, but when you go through the valley of the shadow and death, to be able to convey that and to sing it and to bring this this understanding that He is. Look at what, it's not just what He does. This is who God is. He is the Father of mercies. and, and, And He is the God of all Comfort, how can you convey this type of realities and eternal declarations on the character of God when you are going through exactly the opposite? How do you remain true to, to the understanding and the belief where you don't see mercy around you? When you feel or you sense or your experience the forsakenness of God. How, how do you go about life? in relationships and really speak of comfort where all that you have known for the last two months, maybe three years, maybe 20 years, is precisely the opposite. Instead of comfort, you feel the abandonment. You feel the grief. You have experienced the loss, the irreversible loss. How do you do that? And I'm going to say that again. You do that by making the person and the work of Christ normative in your life. That's exactly what becomes the driving force of what you do and who you are. The other choice, which I'm going to remind you, is not going to work for you and for me, is when you begin with self, with your experience and your understanding and your background and your personal preferences. Your experiences and background and understanding and personal preferences and theological lenses or cultural you know, context is extremely important. And they become the means or the vehicle to convey this message. So we don't minimize what you're going through, what 2023 looked like, and what the church is facing today. We, none of those things are minimized nor ignored. But they cannot become or be or continue to be the driving force of who we are and what we do. On verse 4, he's going to describes, and this is where he gets just so, so personal and so tangible. Because he describes the God of mercy. The father of all mercies and the God of comfort. And, and look at how he brings it from conceptual uh, uh, doctrinal statements. Which, by, by the way, if you're taking notes, um, the concept of doctrine, which is all that I've been doing for the last few minutes, just conveying this doctrine. The concept of doctrine, doctrine by nature is relational, is always relational. Because the model is Christ, and doctrine is the embodiment of doctrine. He's the fulfillment of all doctrine. And and I'm saying this because on verse 4, this is where the relational component comes into place. So this is what it is. This is the definition. He just gave it to us. Now this is what it looks like in your context, Church of Corinth. This is what it looks like. Who comforts, this is the God of the Bible, who comforts us in all of our affliction so the comfort of god is not the absence of affliction the comfort of god is simply the reality the presence the image the the intervention of the god of the bible in spite of our affliction so this is why we never thank god for our afflictions to find the comfort of god is to have the ability to have doxology to declare the bigness of god the character of god the person of jesus the work of jesus in spite of our circumstances in spite of our affliction so that we look at the the corporate you know corporal component we will be able to become vehicles channels of the presence and the aroma and the essence in the message of god now we speak of ecclesiology now we speak of the church and that we are will be able or enable right this is what the gospel does enables people to comfort those who are in who are in any affliction with the comfort we're 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 confirmed with the comfort watch this with the comfort with which we ourselves in other words what we're conveying it what we're bringing into the conversation is a comfort is a mercy that doesn't come from us or it doesn't belong we are simply we're simply storing the the comfort and the And the goodness and the mercy of someone else. We've been entrusted with that. Which, by the way, and and i got to finish this. But let me just say this to you. The reason why the church is able to do this and commissioned to do this is because Jesus of Nazareth, Christ, the person in the work of Christ, Jesus of Nazareth did not experience that comfort when he called upon the Father. When he cried out for mercy. And if it was possible for him to avoid drinking of the cup. When he was hanging on that cross, given of his life, and he cried out and said, why have you forsaken me? There was no comfort. It was abandonment and loneliness and betrayal and eventually death. This is why we're able to do this. So, all that I'm trying to tell you is that this is not the result of a bunch of people or churches, in this case, family or parents who love their kids and want to bring comfort. No, no, I'm telling you, the things that people have experienced, the things that you probably have gone through and potentially will go through in 2024 are beyond human abilities. And Paul is going to describe that. This is why we need the intervention of the supernatural intervention of the God of the scriptures that has brought comfort to us and paul is reminding the church in times of need for just as the sufferings of christ come on i just explained that to you the sufferings of christ are ours in abundance once again i told you at the beginning the sufferings of jesus are not they are not simply redemptive which is included The, the the expiatorial work of christ that's that's non negotiable we are saved through the redemption of jesus but the sufferings of jesus and this is why i'm saying that again this is why we speak of the person that's what happened to him he 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 went through suffering as a person he suffered but then his suffering watch this became normative so that's the work of christ how he lived and he lived as a humble servant he was the suffering servant he was the man of sorrows listen to me There is a component of salvific experience what he did for us and the sufferings brings a salvation redemption to us but there is also a component of setting up the example it must become our model it must become Our vocation, that's the language I want to use in this regard. So in this case, uh, the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance. That's what you sign in when you came to know Christ. If you are a follower of Jesus and you've been baptized, this is why we practice, you know, believer's baptism by immersion, because you've been crucified, you've been buried with Jesus. Those sufferings have become your sufferings in a sense of, again, proclaiming the gospel and the obstacles that you're going to face. So also our comfort is abundant through christ and the comfort that we have obviously is the understanding and this is the worldview of the jewish community which in this case is obviously paul's understanding and in, in, in the church in in the first century is that between the the present era and the era to come right and i'm speaking of eras as in the season um uh, the, the 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 kingdom that we're facing it began by obviously the fall of men and the present era satan is the ruler of this era he is the prince of the air temporarily he rules right and then Jesus shows up and he establishes a brand new kingdom which has not been consummated this is why we await a second coming but listen the first coming I'm going to argue is the is the is the one 2000 years ago that's where the whole transformation and empowerment takes place but tragically the church 2000 years ago is missing has missed that understanding and the church instead of a Embracing the reality of, uh, of the overlapping of the errors, which implies, once again, which implies you will go through afflictions. But the afflictions involve in our face through the comfort that is present. And that comfort is not the absence of affliction, but is the ability to find purpose in the context of affliction, afflictions. Now, for us, this is why we process afflictions through this channel. This is why I'm coming back to this and, and through this series to 2 Corinthians. I'm going to speak to this over and over again. What you don't want to go is what you don't want to do is to go through the unresolved tension of afflictions and and again and, 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 and difficulties. You don't want to face the unresolved tension of the overlapping of the eras of the already and not yet. Um, you don't want to go through that through the Through the perpetuation of reversing the order. You don't want to begin with you and make yourself the victim. Or maybe you creating yourself all this conflict and affliction. You want to face the reality of evil and suffering through the understanding that as real as suffering is and as powerful as Satan is, Satan fulfills the purposes of god because he is lord so this is why we proclaim jesus crucified this is why we speak of the sufferings of christ this is why as much as jesus suffered and eventually died he conquered death this is why we face as churches we face as families we face as individuals we face the struggles of this life not towards victory but we face it from victory and the victory which is based in the past is a done deal first coming of jesus this is why why we are able to profess and to confess and and this is why again the time is so uh, um, limited for me but this is why when you look at first Peter for instance speaking to the church of the dispersion Peter is going to say that the vocation of Jesus why he came is to suffer the implication is that the doctrine of election he was chosen as the cornerstone of the edifice is exactly what makes us now living stones and in the same breath of election chosen to be the cornerstone and for us to be uh, a, a cornerstone and for us to be living stones in the same breath peter is going to say the election the choosing also involved that he will be rejected so once again it is humiliation towards exaltation so he was chosen to be humiliated so he can become our redeemer he can become the firstborn among many how do i know this well i know this because of romans say in romans paul speaking to churches who are going through difficulties and heading toward severe persecution he reminds us he says and we know in other words you should know this if you're ignoring this is because you are not you are not doing life under apostolic authority apostolic authority is beginning with Christ, person and then his work or life works or lifestyle so and we know we should know that god causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him the ability to love god is the result according to verse 29 this is how you get to love god please listen to me nobody is born no one is born loving God. We are born hating God. Does that make sense? I don't know. I love for you guys to check that statement. And I'm making this statement. I'm 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 bringing this up to you because when life is not making sense, most of us we perceive that God doesn't exist, and much less he cares. And that's further from the truth. And I'm, I'm bringing this conversation once again to us because how you get see that's the win the win is to love God how do you love God you love God when when you remember that is God who foreknew this is verse 29 of Romans 8 this is the God who foreknew that you are not accidental you are not circumstantial your ups and downs of life are under the control of God the foreknowledge of God and this foreknowledge implies that he also predestined you in the predestination, which is simply the prefix, right, that the destination is set, the reason why you are saved or you're a Christian in spite of the circumstances has a specific purpose. So you are got to make sure that that purpose is not only achieved or is, you know, quitting is not an option, but you also need to understand that the destination not only is being said, but how you get there is being said. And here's going to be my argument. It seems to me, based on Hebrews 5.8, eight. That part of how you get there is done through suffering. You are, I mean, listen, listen, listen. So you've been predestined to become conform. The conformity is how you get there. You've been conformed to the image of his son. So it's, it's an immediate, instant experience that you are, that you are in a supernatural manner transformed into the image of Jesus, but it's also progressive. This is the concept of justification. This is the concept of sanctification you know we're using legal terms of what happened and what continues to happen and that's why you've been conformed into the image of god the image of his son for the purpose here's the reason why you've been shaped and you continue to be shaped so that he who's he not the church who is he christology and missiology christ and the work of christ would be the firstborn Familiar language relationships intimacy among many brothers and sisters so apparently the connection the relationship that we have is through that foreknowledge which in- in- includes that destination or you know that had been said of you know becoming or, or walking with him in this case through suffering now we can speak of verse 28 because this is how you define suffering now we know what do we know i just explained to you we know verse 29 this is what we know this is the work exclusive exclusive work of jesus this has nothing to do with us because he foreknew he predestined he established all these things we're simply recipients of this and he says we know those things that what we're describing is not something that we accomplish or that we can lose because it wasn't even ours to begin with this is based on the faithfulness and the in the and the commitment of christ which by the way the commitment of christ is reflected in, in in the seriousness is reflected not simply how he lived but how he died and after the death and the resurrection of jesus he went up to the father the ascension seals the deal because today as we speak and as you are facing maybe some of the most difficult seasons in your life, or maybe you're heading into, you know, seasons of, of, of growth and development, either way, He is interceding, this moment interceding for every one of us before the Father. So this is why we know that in the God causes all things to work together. This is how He does it. He does it for the good of those who love God. How we love God? We just explained that. Those who are called, E.D., past tense, Happen to us according to his purpose what's the purpose please listen to me the purpose of god here's the purpose of god it's not simply heaven when we die but is that we walk in christ likeness to be conformed into the image of jesus not by avoiding suffering but having this you see this is this is the destination this is how we get to the destination and this is the purpose of god that we are enabled in christ jesus to process the immediate to process the ultimate through the immediate and i'm saying this i'm sorry it's it's the other way around to process the immediate through the ultimate we process the loss, we process the the grief we process the successes we process life as broken as dysfunctional as beautiful it can be we process to what is to come and what is to come is a person is the fullness of the encounter with the groom The bride of Jesus gets to be with Jesus. That is the win. The win is not simply a place called heaven, although it is a place, and we're looking forward to that. The win is not simply that we get to see each other again, which we are looking forward to that. The win is not simply that we will get beyond or more than simply rewards everything will be restored that's not the win all those things are included the win is the person the win is the beauty of that union final union where we get to see the groom the shepherd the firstborn and his name is jesus what does that mean let you ask because this is the invitation the implication of that is that while we wait and while we are empowered to process the immediate the suffering the struggles through the ultimate to what is to come the implication is now that we are free not from calamities not from affliction not from difficulties we are free to remain the person of Christ as the main thing in the work of Jesus as one single experience now we get into the church we are free not to reverse the order we are free not to be driven by self indulgence in self-gratification we are free to confess that if we or sins, we are afflicted come on we are facing the reality of a broken world he says it is for your comfort in, the, in other words my affliction has a purpose and it is for your comfort and for your salvation In other words, you're not going to discourage me. Uh, As much as you reject me, Paul is speaking to the church, and and I see the dysfunctionality and the brokenness and the difficulties and and the decline of things and, and even my own life and my own health or whatever the case may be, I am willing to face the calamities and the afflictions as long as you get to know Christ and Christ crucified. Because now the focus, again, the focus is at word. The focus is not about me. The focus is about Christ, which Christ is driven by those those that he loves the most, which is the church. Or if we are comforted, so whether we're going through affliction or we're going to comfort, it is for your comfort that we are comforted. So whatever we're experiencing is for your sake, which is effective in the, I mean, listen to this language, this comfort. It's conditional. The sufferings may be unpredictable. The afflictions, you may not have asked for them. The calamities and the loss and the grief that you're facing, you never signed up for that. You never saw it coming. But here's what he says. If you want to experience the comfort of God, it goes side to side with what you describe on difficulties. Because unless you are a co-partaker of the afflictions of Christ, which honor the Father, which are the vehicle to to take the gospel to the nations, you will not know the comfort of Jesus in this world. Is that clear? It's not one or the other. It's not an either or. It's a both and. But here's here's the beauty. Come on, listen. Here's the beauty. He says, It is in that context that he becomes effective in the patience, in the patient enduring. Oh, my goodness. In the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. So whether you're going through small suffering, lots of suffering, small success, grace, regardless, the context, the the ability, the worldview, the the, the understanding of the church is that church becomes the catalyst of patient enduring, patient enduring enduring this this patient enduring describes as the, is described as the result and not the evidence of christian vocation understanding that we work again the predestination is simply understanding that the destination has been pre-established pre-said that it is not just the person of christ which is the win, but how we get how are we conformed into the image is through the same vocation that jesus had and if the vocation of christ was suffering you and i in a broken world that when we are to exercise the Christology and the missiology, when the driving force of the church is the person of Christ and the mission of Christ, trust me, that involves the vocation of Christ. The question is not why we suffer. The question is why not? If if the vocation of Jesus is our vocation. And this is why we are to embrace, we are to convey, we are to pass on this patient enduring and obviously if you want to see some references in the scriptures this is how the bible as a whole conveys some of these messages here's the prayer here's the the plea the supplication this is why we are saying what we're saying because in our certainty my goodness in the context of loss in the context of grief in the context of desperation in the context of desolation in the context of loneliness paul says hope hope certainty unquestionable this is the gospel, and our hope for you—that either you've been comforted or you've been afflicted, whatever you find yourself, maybe you're in the mix of both. The hope for you is firmly rounded. I know. I know the situation is questionable. I know the reports are unpredictable. I know faith maybe is shaken in 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 some might be even considering quitting. And Paul says, uh, the object of the hope, the reason of our hope, this is not hope for the sake of hope. This is not wishful thinking. This is the certainty. The certainty that our hope in your context is grounded, unshakable, unmovable. Because we know that as you are partners, co-laborers in suffering you will also be in comfort maybe today you are facing, we are facing the suffering as the immediate and this is a broken world church is hard, leading the church is hard but we process the immediate through the ultimate and what is to come is the comfort of the one who was abandoned. We are to experience at the end of the journey, the love and the restoration of the one who lost it, everything, the one who gave everything up so you can have access to that ultimate comfort, which is the beauty of the gospel penetrating homes and families and generations. Now, Paul is going to continue the conversation into this church who has lost hope, who negotiated hope, and who were driven by self-indulgence. May the Lord help us. May the Lord allow us to experience the fullness of the comfort of Jesus today in the context of difficulties, in the context of finding that purpose, whatever the case, whatever the loss, whatever the grief we may be experiencing. May the Lord bless you and bring the comfort that you need for the year 2024. God bless. (music) Thank <music>